Hi there, and welcome along to another episode of A Serve of Leadership. My name's Ian Crawford, and I'm a professional speaker, trainer, and coach in the area of leadership and influence. And next to me is my friend and colleague, Ash Dash Luti, leadership coach and consultant extraordinaire. Welcome back, Ash. Episode number eight. How are things? How are you, Superstar? You well? Yeah, I'm doing good. How was your holiday up north just recently? Oh, mate, fantastic. Great to be uh, out in the wonderful sunshine of 30 degrees at, uh, you know, at what, what do we like to call Club Port Headland you know, as, we, <laughs> as we live that very exotic lifestyle. So, so those people who are in Western Australia, that's about, what, two and a half hours flight from Perth north? Yes. Look out. it up. Yes, look it up. It's a great place to, uh, it's a place, I mean, very flat place and, and there the was a, yeah, pretty much. Although having said that though, working with the people there was pretty awesome. There was yeah. a, a really impressive group of leaders. So that was good fun. Yeah. I was interested in you. So what time do you get up in the morning to get to work? I was having great days. I was, I was starting getting up at about 4am and getting yeah. back to camp at about 7pm which, you know, for an old man like me, I'm not used to working at that kind of pace, so they really squeeze the most out of me. And that's, sometimes we get that, don't we, that that is probably a typical day for some of the leaders that you would have been working with all the time. And they work weeks and weeks at a time. Yeah, it is astonishing. Mate, it's astonishing the commitment they put in. Yeah, everyone thinks about the money, they forget about that sort of commitment. So, Absolutely, well, absolutely. Well, and what about you? How's your, uh, I don't know, it feels like a long time this week. It has, uh, it, yeah, lots of things happen. It's good. Uh, more and more clients are sort of getting out of the, the whole corona fog and starting to have chats. And I actually booked some face-to-face training oh, for, next, for next month, which is unreal. Missed it. Welcome, welcome back to the real world. I know this, it's been, it's been one of my things around the whole world of crime. I was having this chat with someone the other day that I really missed that physical contact. You know, just shaking someone's hand is, seems small, but it's, Bloody awesome. Well, I'll give you a hug next time I see you, mate. How's that? <laughs> None of this virtual stuff. No. <laughs> mate, so being that uh, the week has now slipped past and I'm pretty sure from my reckoning that it's your turn to maybe lead us in conversation today. What's the topic that you're thinking that we're going to chat about? Yes, it is my turn again and I feel very honoured once again that uh, I am going to respond to something that a whole lot of leaders ask me uh, once we usually coming towards the end of uh, our time together is how do mm. I keep developing myself? Now, obviously ah. the knee jerk reaction is always going to be employ Ash and I, That's <laughs> be. but if, if they want to do it alone, uh, what can they do? What things can they put in place that allows us them to continue to develop and be the leader they know they should be? So what do you reckon? Right. So, Can we do so you're about talking about, about leaders themselves actually um, driving their own development and how they become better themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. Well, mate, giddy up then. Tell me what you got. Well, I've got one. I think we've mentioned this once before, and this is one of my go-tos as well for a lot of them. If, if people ask me, what should I do to, mm. the first tip is always to choose to. And okay. you know, leaders, just as we've just mentioned, you know, from four o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night, if, if leaders are going flat stick at doing that work and then we go, hey, you need to develop yourself as well, they're going to have some strong words with us. So one of the things that we have to do is really choose to um, step up and develop ourselves. 
and we have to set it as a priority. Mm. And if you say, I don't have time to do this, it's simply you're saying it's not a high enough priority. So mm. we have to really elevate it to the level of a high priority for us, as well as, and the response to that is to put some time aside and then stick to it. And I think mm. one of the real key things to that is, it doesn't have to be big. You imagine, I'm gonna to commit to a TED talk 15 minutes maximum once a week. Mm -hmm. so, but there is a whole lot of leaders that couldn't even do that at the moment for a whole stack of excuses. So the first one is consciously choose to do it and set up a system that allows you to complete that. Simple, mm, yeah. straightforward. I like the way you, you close that out with set up a system around it, right? Get into a routine or a habit of it uh, rather, rather than it being just a discrete, um, I guess, period of development itself. I like mm. that idea. What about you? You must have one by now. <laughs> I, thank you for giving me that time to sort of I'll think. I'll give you that 12 seconds to do it. The, li the little hamster wheel has been powering away, trying to come up with something. Yeah, look, I think um, as an extension of what you're talking about there, for me, uh, my first point would be what I call working on your awareness. Right? And what I mean by that is, a lot of the times we think about our development from the skill side of things. Okay, well, how am I going to get better at these conversations? How do I get better at developing a strategy or, you know, that sort of thing. But I think the really good leaders that I come across, what they're good at doing is developing their awareness side of things, of understanding how, they, how their thinking works by understanding or developing their ability to uh, improve their emotional intelligence and how they engage and interact with people, mm -hmm. even to the extent of how they understand, recognize, and then better manage things like their emotional states and their anxiety. Because what you're actually doing there is you're developing that skill set that allows you to better condition in any circumstances that you're playing with. Uh, and it's a gap that I would say a lot of leaders, some leaders do inherently without necessarily thinking about it, but not many are particularly deliberate about it. So taking mm. that opportunity to work on your awareness, I think is a really key development focus for leaders. It, it, I, th I think that's a, a interesting point because I think that's foundation to everything. Mm. If you've got poor self-awareness, there's no way that you're going to be the leader that you know that you should be. <laughs> and, you, you know, we've asked people this, you know, we've been in rooms together and asked people about, you know, hands up who've got a leader that one day you walk into them and go, hey, can you help us out leader? And they give you hugs, high fives and, and help you out. You go in the next day, ask almost exactly the same thing and they blow up at you. Mm. So, and not being able to know what sort of response you're going to get from that people is a really tough thing for your followers. So, and that comes from self-awareness and the ability to manage your own emotions. And mm. I think, and that's a learnt thing as well. The cool thing is that's a learnt behaviour, that one, the EQ, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, now I guess I, I put awareness for me into that bucket of mental skills, right? Mm. You really got to take the time to practice those mental skills, um, which as you said, has fringe benefits in other areas, right? So it, it often has a really positive effect in personal lives, in mm. relationships and things like that as well. And, and I'm pretty big on this. It's a learnt behavior because in my twenties, I sucked at this. Oh Lord. Mm. Yeah, if I go back to the sporting fields and things like that, I really did suck at this. And now mm. people actually make comment on how calm I can stay. And that's not, that is not talking myself up. It's just literally, I've, I've just had a, I've just tested myself and reflected on it and worked really hard at doing it. So anyone can do it. 
Absolutely. Okay. Mate, tell me what's your next one then. Okay. Tip two here for me is to put yourself out there. And I truly believe that uh, good leaders, you know, sit on the edge of their comfort zone and keep pushing themselves out. And okay. it's so easy to be a leader and be a leader for 10, 15, 20 years and, and basically just repeat the same thing over and over again every day and not test yourself. Mm. And understand that if you're going to put yourself out there, then there's going to be some speed humps. And if and you're not going to choose and select everything perfectly every time and it's not going to be better roses, mm. we're going to go and make some decisions, test ourselves, try some things, and we're going to fail. Mm. And the real key about that is when you hit that speed bump, it's not... To, not to fall in a heap like you were just saying around emotional intelligence and being awareness is to pick yourself up aware, be aware that it was a learning opportunity, dust yeah. yourself off and keep going again and, and keep trying that over and over again. And this really links nicely to our, um, how to deal with failure, how leaders deal with failure episode in regards mm. to great leaders, um, you know, are very failure tolerant. They don't wallow in their failures. They understand it's all part of their growth. They understand it's part of growing a business, especially an innovative one. And they're mm. willing to get up and do it again. Whereas you and I, we regularly find and bump into leaders who are good leaders, uh, still good leaders, but they don't really test themselves. Mm. They don't have better conversation. They don't have really difficult conversations. They don't go out and put themselves in situations where they might look like idiots in front of their, their people. Uh, and and then therefore they don't grow. And hmm. this whole thing about development, it's all it's been a nice to have hmm. as we've gone through. Especially in my career, it's a nice to have. But mark my words, going into the future, we're going to desperately need those leaders who can develop rapidly, quickly, and, and flex with the times. So if the leaders that we're talking to right now don't get into that habit of doing that, they're going to be left behind and really suffer into the future would be my prediction. What do you think? Yeah, well, absolutely. Because you, I guess the, the development required is very different to what it used to be, you know, being that it used to be very skills focused in the past, but the skills yeah. have changed now, you know, so it is a lot more around, you know, that intuitive aspect that, you know, um, dealing with that complexity, the uncertainty and things like that. And, and that requires a constant refinement along the way if you're going to be on that right path. Otherwise, you know, the world just changes too quickly around you. I totally agree. Mm. So your turn. You uh, okay. So for me, my, my second piece, sorry, I was just taking that extra second there. So for me, my second piece is what I would call about making it real. Mm. And what I mean by that is um, people often learn best through experiential aspects. Um, so, with that, making sure that your development um, has a real focus around being embedded in real experiences. So whether that is actually through the opportunities that you take, through uh, the way that you embed it back into the world of work that you are doing, or on the opposite side is make sure that even if you are extracting yourself and doing, say, some you know, um, leadership program or things like that, it should be very well set around the different types of current challenges that you're facing, scenarios, things like that, where you're able to learn within 
a context rather than around specific content. It is learning within a context. And I, I find um, <clears throat> that is actually much harder to set up than people think it is. Uh, if you're doing it within organisations, obviously there's the fear around if things go wrong and, you know, okay, I get a project to try and that sort of thing. A lot of the time, a lot of time leaders will sort of, will have a go at it, but they won't give it a red hot crack because there's a, there's a real life risk involved. Um, so one of the saving graces, yeah, you can take that offline a little bit and you can create scenarios, you can create events um, and situations for people to be able to learn offline, but it requires a lot of in-depth creation and detail in the scenario to be able to get the most out of it. So I think that idea about making sure that you make the learning real, that it is, um, it has real context around it. It has real um, applicability. Uh, it has the opportunity for you to take that and really use it becomes really useful rather than just sitting in the classrooms and having someone, you know, present information or even to be honest, like you say, the Ted talks are great. You know, they'll give you ideas and that sort of element, but unless you take that and aggressively try and throw yourself into the middle of actually giving it a go, yeah. you don't tend to get any development in that piece. That's a good one. I like that one. Oh, yeah. I'm lucky. Gee, I'm two, <laughs> two from two. That's, I was going to say first time in a long time. Hey? I'm actually getting some wins under my belt. I'm not sure this agreeing with each other thing sits very comfortably with me. I'm, I'm feeling very uncomfortable as we sit right now. Trust we, we me. Need, we, we need to come <laughs> topic next week or something like that. So, Here's a chance. What, Mate, tell me I've then. Got, bring I got home. one more. I got yeah. one more. And this is probably one that is uh, true to my heart, really close to my heart in regards to the impact of it, is to find yourself a mentor. Okay. Without exception, go find a, the most successful people in the world and they will tell you that one of the contributing factors to that was them having mentor or mentors uh, yeah. throughout their life. Yeah. And... I know that there's been times in my life where I've bumped into mentors or uh, gone out and found a mentor and it's, it's made a, a significant change and fast tracked uh, the career that I was in at the time. And well, so therefore, why do you think that is? Well, because they, they shortcut my learning. Mm. They're older, yeah. more experienced than me. And I had massive trust in them and respect for them. Important key is that, you know, they've spent 20 years doing stuff and learning mistakes and finding shortcuts. So they're going to dump all that learning on me rather than me having to go through that 20 years of learning myself and the pain, the heartache associated with it as well. So, yeah. and that came in my sports career. You know, I, I'm not sure if you, you know this, you know, you come from a sports industry as well, but in particular, phys ed teachers, we, when we graduate, we tend to have healthy egos. I don't know if you've realized that. And I was doing a sports camp and doing some coaching and mm. I thought I was just shit hot. Basically I thought I was great coach <laughs> and I was going to take on the world and train all these kids. And, and this is a situation where the mentor bumped into me, but the mentor had that person that's about to speak to me. I had, I had massive respect and I can basically say that this lady put me on a different career path with her. Mm. Uh, advice. So I've gone through and I think I'm really good. You know, I'm only 19, 20. Who, what would I know about the world? And, you know, I've done this and her role was to give me feedback. And I strut over to her after doing the volleyball lesson and expecting her to, 
you know, shower me and confetti and hugs and all that sort of stuff. And she went, Oh God, that was shit. <laughs> and, and now obviously a lot of people will go, well, that's not a nice thing for a mentor to do, but she had the trust and the rapport with me to get away with it. So she knew that. And then mm. she went on and identified what I did, delivered it in a way that aligned with what I was trying to do. And, it, and I, I can't remember that time being a painful time. I can just remember mm. that was, was a, a sharp, like, are you kidding me? I thought that was really good. And then she identified stuff when she's identified, I went, Oh man, you're so right. And more importantly, told me what I should do next time. I then backed mm. it up the next day, got a little bit better. Next day, she watched me again and, and so on, so on. And, you know, my teaching ability went like that. Not because of any inbred skill, just because I bumped into this lady. And she's yeah. just been um, inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame, this lady, to, for she oh, was wow. a major driver of the women's AFL. Wow. And so how do you, um, how do you then go about finding good mentors? Yeah, yeah it's a good, very good question. I was lucky that she bumped into me and that, and that was what the program was all about is feedback to young teachers. The other way they've done it is, is it's simply this find someone that you want to be more like. Okay. Now that doesn't have to be the holistic package. So okay. I'm, I know that you're incredibly good at managing a room in regards to having really deep impactful conversation. You know, that's a real super um, power of yours. So if I saw that and, and we've had conversations around this, so technically you have done this is that if I wanted to get better at that, I'd walk up to you and go, Hey Ash, this is the area I want you to help me with and put a little circle around it. Hmm. Now, when we talk about mentors, sometimes people think oh, it's long-term and we have all these long, nah, it could be one session. It hmm. could be two weeks. It could be five years. One of my mentors has been around for 15 hmm. and, and they keep drip feeding me. So the real key is to identify someone you want to be a more alike doesn't have to be the whole package, just a small part. So it could be presenting skills. It could be having difficult questions. It could be managing meetings. It could be the list goes on and on. And then go approach those people. Now, here's the interesting thing I found about senior leaders. Those are the people who have been through this process are now well-established in the leadership world is the majority, actually, all of them that I've experienced are happy to mentor people. Mm, absolutely. They know the power of it because that's how they've got to where they are. They're now willing yeah. to do it, but they don't promote it mm. because the key to this mentoring thing is that the mentoree approaches the mentor, not the other way around. And but there's the tip that I would have for people is this, that again, if I use you as an example, I would say, Hey Ash, I've been watching you the last uh, three presentations and I noticed you're really good at asking open-ended questions and managing people's conversations around those questions that they come to a really clear point. I'd like to get better at that. I was hoping that you could mentor me so I could get better at that as well. Mm. Now I think that's really clear when you approach a mentor because it's got a nice little circle around it about what mm. that you want from them and allows them to make a decision. Whereas a busy person like yourself, I walk up and go, Hey Ash, could you mentor me to be a better presenter? That's huge. And mm. the response to that could be quite negative simply because they don't have enough information uh, mm. to have. The next tip is this, is to respect. If they say yes, it is now time to be highly respectful of that relationship. And so some mentoring sessions can go for 10 minutes. They can go for 30 minutes. They can go for 90 minutes, etc. I always start off at 30 minutes. So mm. I'd say, if you say, Hey, yes, I'd be interested in that. What were you thinking cross? And I'd go, Ash, 
I was thinking about 30 minutes every three weeks and I can place it in your diary and we'll stick to it. So once again, you've got this really mm. clear understanding about my expectations and you can make that decision. Now here's the final tip for mentoring <laughs> is yep. the mentoree must drive the relationship. Absolutely. So it's not coaching where the coach drives the conversation and the mentor, the mentoree, e.g. me in this case, is going to drive the conversation. So what I encourage people to do is two things. Number one is send questions that you want your mentor to answer the day before or sometime before. Yeah, it's a good idea. Or, or rock up with those questions. If you, if I rocked up to a mentoring session with you, sat down, there was complete silence and I expected you to drive the conversation, I would hope you as a mentor would spin me around and tell me to go get myself sorted and come back because it's good, good skills for me to learn. And secondly, I'm disrespecting your time. Mm. And if you explain these, those three things, what you want, how long you want it for and the process, e.g. I'll send you questions beforehand, very few people will say no to that because they now have this real clarity around what's expected and how that they can respond to that. And so the mentoring session is literally, Hey Ash, I saw when you walked up to that person who was really quiet and they weren't involved, what were you thinking? And how did you know to walk up to them? And you'd go, yada, 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 yada. I'd ask mm. more questions to clarify it, whatever. Uh, once I've got the information, I might move on to something else. So how do you close off? You know, uh, you had a conversation about 30 minutes. It went really hard, fast. How do you know what to say to close it off to move? And it's very specific. So, Ultimately, I want to be more like you. So I need to ask you questions to draw that information out of your head. Mm -hmm. If you start doing that and fill that process, not only will the mentor really enjoy the process, you will get massive amounts out of it. And mm -hmm. recently, the best example, one of the little hooks that I use in some of my young people's leadership. So I do some grad programs around the place. Mm -hmm. And I'd say to, say to the groups, hey, if you want to advance, mentoring is the way to go. It's no one's mm. about it. You want to go fast either in your skills or up through the career ladder. Mentoring is the only way to go. Absolutely. Because remember those mentors can introduce you to people as well. Yeah, that's right. Which is a key part of what we do. Now I then say, I leave it there and say, Hey, if you'd like to know about the mentoring process and how to be successful at it, give me a ring. Because I only want the people who want to be truly successful to ring me up. And if they do, I'll give them all the details and more on how to do it. Now I've had two people just in the last 12 months, the young people come up and young people, you know, in their twenties, they're not kids, yeah, yeah. they're young, 20s. young, young for us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. New to their careers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, usually one or two years out of the graduate program and do this. And both of them have jumped two levels within their businesses within that 12 months. Hmm. Yeah. It's certainly, it's, it's a, it's a really powerful tool. Uh, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more on that piece, which does make me physically ill as I say that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is a, it, it's a powerful tool and one that is underutilized. I would agree with that completely yeah. also. Um, and I think maybe the, the only thing that I would maybe close out with or maybe add to what you're talking about from the mentor's side of things is the idea that, uh, it takes some courage to go out and ask them, right? And mm. you've got to you've got to push the envelope a little bit um, yeah. to get out there and ask them. Uh, but the the upside to that that courageous step that you take is absolutely huge, right? And and don't limit yourself to 
the same organization. Don't limit yourself to mm. even the same industry, perhaps, you know, because the diversity of thought that you get by actually sort of stepping outside that realm uh, is, is massive yeah. uh, and can actually then provide a whole different perspective on your world, which you didn't realize as well. So there's, I often find there's sort of two sides. There's either those who've been there and who've been on your path. So you tend to see, okay, well, what mistakes can I avoid along the way? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes if you challenge yourself, you go right outside of your sphere and you pick someone who um, just effectively just presents a whole new world to you. And they're often a lot more challenging and uncomfortable um, relationships to have because it does really start to shake the way that you think about it. Uh, and if you can then take that learning and apply back into your space, um, it becomes exponential, I think, mm. as a benefit for you individually. No, I was going to say totally. Don't, t- don't, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. I, I did mention exactly what you said then to a, an accountancy finance guy who was mm. um, 2IC, a mm. significant organisation. And I said, look, let me line you up with a GM of a mining company. And his initial reaction was, what could I learn from that? And I looked at him and went, are you kidding me? Mm. Are you sitting in this nice little office, fully air conditioned? This GM is responsible for a thousand people's lives in one of the most arid environments you could think about, hot temperatures, mm. all that sort of stuff, as well as a very dangerous, you don't think you could learn something about them about how to manage people, keep them motivated and keep them safe, just like he can learn something from you. Mm. And we sent him off to do that. And he, he came back with his, he said, I have the easiest job in the world. Mm. I said, well, no, you're just good at it and you've been doing it for a while. But you imagine if you took these ideas and slotted into where you are and vice versa, you've got to be so much better at what you do. Absolutely. So enough from me. Take us home, mate. What's your uh, final tip for today? Hey, my, my last idea I think is a, is a simple one, but it's, it's a small one in my mind, but also a challenging one. <laughs> and it's, and, and it, I think it closes out our conversation really well. It's an idea that I call giving up on your previous success. You know, so a lot of the times when we think about developing mm-hmm. and getting better, the mindset is often around how do we add? What extra skills do I add into my repertoire? You know, how do I extend my abilities to be able to better make decisions? How do I go and source extra experience and things like that? But sometimes what we don't do is we don't take the time to actually take stock of what the new world is going to look like mm-hmm. and actually make a conscious decision to stop doing or to remove things that we've actually been doing previously and often been doing really, really well. So sometimes I think what we actually need to do is we need to take things that we were phenomenally good at mm-hmm. and actually just stop doing it. Right? So whether that, in the real world translates into a, de- a, a delegating piece or um, um, actually then shifting that into the opportunity of, of understanding not doing it. But there is a really key ingredient which only comes from the reflection piece and also being clear about where you're going in your journey mm-hmm. to actually stop and go, well, hang on a second, I actually need to create space now for these new things that I'm going to be doing and the new things that I'm going to learn. So I need to stop doing it. Um, where you'll see it in a journey is often in, it, it seems to me highlighted most in early stage leaders. So for argument's sake, you know, I've been an accountant, I've been an engineer, I've been a, an electrician. 
And now I transition into the world of being a leader of electricians, a leader of accountants, a leader of engineers. And it's most apparent that in those instances, guess what? I can't do those things anymore. I actually need to understand that my role has changed and that the skill set that I need has changed. So I have to stop being an electrician to some extent, or at least understand that I'm phasing that out over time. Mm. Uh, and I still see it even at, um, at senior level as well, right? Is that idea uh, that they need to stop doing things or they need mm. to give up on the previous success, uh, but it's just happening on a much wider level because it's often happening at an organizational level where the idea is, well, they themselves individually have to shift their focus because that's actually what's going to help the whole organization shift. So for me, my final one is actually sometimes you've got to give up on your previous successes. I think that's a, a average one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to agree with you. So yeah. I can see, I can see what you're going to say. There is, no, is that one's actually. That's, it. It's a dumb that, idea. That's going to be filtered out. You know, uh, when this, when this actually it. goes, when this goes live, it's actually just going to be filtered out. There's just going to be a big gap, and then we're going to close out. <laughs> yeah, we'll just be us waving. <laughs> yeah. People, the human brain likes doing stuff that it's good at. Absolutely. It, it likes habitual, it likes sameness. The problem is that a lot of those senior leaders that you're mentioning take those things they like and keep them for 10 years and they go from a frontline leader to GM CEO level and they're still doing it. And not mm. only do they reduce their impact as leaders, most important part, they also cost the business stacks of money. You know, mm. They're doing stuff that it's about four levels below their pay grade because they haven't let go of what they used to be good at. Mm. Um, it's poor role modeling. It's not good for the business and it doesn't make, it reduces your impact as a leader. And that's mm. frustrating for everyone. Mm. Anything else you want to add, my friend? Oh, mate, I list two out of three. So I did all right. I got two out of three that time. So no, I think that's enough for me. I'm done. We'll have to think of a topic where we disagree with everything. Oh, maybe we should make that the topic. Let's make that a topic. <laughs> how to disagree about everything. And how, what's the book how called? How to di disagree with everything. How, how to disagree with people and dislike lots of people. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty easy to do though. <laughs> go, go to Facebook. That's easy to do. All right. Ash and I will be back next week with another topic around leadership. If you have missed any of our episodes previously, just click on the link below and we'll take us to our YouTube uh, channel where you can catch up on all the episodes prior to this if you have a topic or a question that you would like ash and i to address please let us know we'd please, like to spend, please, yeah, please please <laughs> it will stop us having this agreeing thing <laughs> if you've got something send it in to us on the contact details that are below us right now and we'll be very happy to address that coming up so thank you very much ash well done mate thank you Crofts. enjoy the rest of your week eh? And thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.